Splash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. Well, thank you, Marie, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's Living Your Dash, the podcast that helps you to connect the dots of discipleship in your life. And so, Rick, here we are today. We've come to the second stop on the Turning Point series, When Your Religion Isn't Enough. All right, so the narrative that we're looking at is this conversation that Jesus had with this man named Nicodemus. Uh, Now, Rick, just a little... I just want to ask this question. Did you know that Nicodemus means the victory of the people? I did not know that. You learn something every day when you you hang out with Sean Lee, folks. You're very welcome. Victory of the people. Fascinating. That's right. That's right. And uh, also, did you know that there's also a famous Jamaican dance hall DJ with the same mononym, Nicodemus? Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. I uh, regularly dance to his music. So, yeah, you're probably wondering how I know that. Anyway, let's, let's, let's get on to it this morning. So, uh, this meeting is kind of a mysterious one. It's at night, and there are some deep things said here. So, you know, Rick, remind us, what is, he was a Pharisee. Rick, what's a Pharisee, and why is this meeting kind of a big deal? Well, in the first century, the Pharisees, they were a Jewish cult, uh, and they were known for being very, very religious. A cult or a sect? Well, you could, you, uh, we, let's use One the word the sect. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll use the word sect. But uh, there were times Jesus would have probably called them a cult. Mm. But, okay, you're right. More accurately, they are a sect mm. of Judaism. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Zealots and the Essenes, all different sects. But the Pharisees, very religious, very pious. And in that culture, they were, they were deeply respected uh, by their fellow Jews. They were seen as very holy, very close to God. Yeah. They, uh, somehow, they don't know exactly when the Pharisees developed as a, as a party or a sect. Mm-hmm. Sometime during the intertestamental period. But they were, in the word Pharisee, probably comes from the root word of being a separatist. Mm. And that's what they were. They separated themselves from the uh, ordinary people. Uh, and and the, their distinguishing mark was their focus on obeying the law of Moses. Yeah, Very, very strict. And Jesus, uh, he, in his three-year public ministry, he had probably more conflict with the Pharisees than any other group. And the conflict was all about the heart. The Pharisees focused on the external observance of the law. Mm. But Jesus says, you know, you you go through the motions, you got all the external things, but you're neglecting the heart. You're not serving God with the right motive. Mm. And that was a huge conflict. Nothing about Nicodemus. Uh, He was not an ordinary Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the seven... 70-member ruling Jewish body, be like yeah. our Congress, uh-huh. with a theological bent as well. Yeah. So Jesus getting with Nicodemus, or maybe I should say Nicodemus getting with Jesus, <laughs> yeah. it was a big deal because on the one hand, Nicodemus was a very influential, powerful person. But interesting, Jesus didn't go to him to win his favor 
to say, oh man, yeah, I need the Jews on my side. I need the Sanhedrin on my side. It was the other way around. Yeah. It was Nicodemus, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but <laughs> it, it took great courage on the part of Nicodemus to approach Jesus. Yeah. Because it showed that he had a humble heart. Uh, he was willing to meet with this uh, upstart carpenter turned preacher who yeah. was causing a stir all over Israel and took a lot of courage on his part to really approach Jesus with uh, with humility, with a sincere heart. Wanting he was wanting to know something. Yeah. And that's why he came to Jesus. But he called him rabbi. Very important. He did call him rabbi. And, and he, he called him rabbi and he said and, and I know you're from God because <laughs> nobody can do the miracles yeah. that you do unless he is from God. Yeah. Some of the other Jewish leaders, Sanhedrin, you know, they said, Oh, he's he does miracles by the power of Satan. Nicodemus was not in that camp. Right. He realized those miracles were genuine. Yeah. And they were God inspired miracles. Yeah. So I appreciate Nicodemus because he, to me, is a very authentic, very sincere man, could objectively look at the ministry of Jesus and to, to see him as, number one, a genuine rabbi and call him rabbi, which was a big deal yeah. in that culture. And to say, I know you're from God. Because yeah. no one can do the miracles you're doing unless the hand of God is on them. So I just have to plug my favorite series, which is The Chosen. And they, I mean... They, they do a marvelous job with Nicodemus, in my humble opinion. Absolutely. I mean, I love the way that... I mean, of course, there's a lot of poetic license that's done here, artistic license, but the way they set up the tension for this... I mean, I wanted so bad to tell my small group because they hadn't seen it yet last night. So I should have just showed the whole part. But anyway, anyway, folks, you've got to see it. Make sure... Is that season one and two or just season one? Season one is where they, uh, where I saw them really developing Nicodemus and yeah. kind of the pressure his wife puts on him. And of yes. course, that's all artistic license. Yeah. But what really comes out in the Chosen series is this point that Nicodemus has witnessed a, a miracle yes. of Jesus. Yes. And it's undeniable. Yeah. And that's what convinces him he needs to go see Jesus. Yeah, and that, that tension of, I have a lot to lose. Oh, does he ever? I have a lot to lose if I follow my conscience. And so, okay, I can't say anything more. So, all right. <laughs> Your lead question that helps us frame this conversation was, was this. You know, what is the secret to inner peace and meaning? As I think about that question, that, that's kind of the existential question for all humanity, along with, you know, why am I here and what's the purpose of my life? But that's actually not what Nicodemus asked Jesus. Uh, did we already cover that, or can you explain that? Well, I, I believe, the more I've studied Nicodemus, I believe that the, he realized, because he was a sincere seeker of truth, yeah. and I love that kind of person, wasn't who, trying to trap him. No, 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 not at all. And you could see in the Gospels, when anyone religious leader came to Jesus to try to trap him, Jesus would never answer his question with an answer. He would answer his question with a question. question. Nicodemus, not so. Nicodemus came with questions, and Jesus answered those questions. Yeah. Now, I don't think at the time Nicodemus was fully able to connect those dots and yeah. figure it out. Yeah. But I believe that Nicodemus was searching for a miss, missing piece that his 
external religion had not provided. Okay. And you've got to realize, a guy like Nicodemus, he had, believe me, he had mastered the external parts of religion. Hmm. I mean, he knew the Old Testament forward and backward, memorized it. Uh, he knew how to tithe. He knew how to do all of the rituals. But something was missing in his heart. Yeah. And so he comes to Jesus, I believe, convinced that Jesus was from God, authenticated by his miracles, and he concluded Jesus may be the one who could provide the missing piece in my life. Something was missing in his life, and he knew it. Mm-hmm. And he had the courage to approach Jesus to say, man, I've gone through all the religion. Can you help me? What am I missing? Because there's there's just... In my soul, there's an uneasiness. I don't have, I don't have the peace and the joy and the sense of, of completeness, that, that I know is there, but I still haven't found it. Yeah, and so when he goes at night, I mean, I mean, I'm, I remember listening to messages in the past. It's like um, they're basically painting him like a coward. You know, that he's going to him at night. But you actually offered some a different approach. What was that? Yeah, I don't believe that. I believe he was a sincere seeker of truth. And and because of that, I believe he scheduled and somehow got, got a, a private meeting with Jesus scheduled for one reason. He needed his undivided attention. Yeah. And all you have to do is read the Gospels and look at a, an ordinary, typical day. Day is the key word mm-hmm. in the life of Jesus. Thousands of people are yeah. pressing around him. Thousands of people are, <clears throat> I need this, I need this, I need this. And he's teaching to the crowds. Can you imagine trying to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus during the day? <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, that's right. So it was only at night when all the people went home and Jesus and the 12 separated themselves somewhere. Yeah. Only there could he have a one-on-one conversation. So I believe two things are demonstrated here, a a sincere search for truth and incredible courage because he had a lot to lose, namely his reputation. Yeah, yeah. So you say that that too many Christians are trying to find peace by being good, right, and religious enough, but they never feel like they've done enough. that really the best religion that can that can do is to make us feel guilty. I find it curious that the word religion comes from the Latin word religare, and it means to bind fast or place an obligation on or bond between human and humans and gods. Religion means bondage. So why do humans find comfort in something that binds us? Because it's something they can do. <laughs> right. It is yeah. something they can point to. And because religion is all about my performance. And it is interesting that religion really means that obligation or that I'm bound to this. Yeah. And so what are you bound to? I'm bound to getting my self-worth by my performance. Yeah. And believe me, I grew up in a very legalistic environment. So I know all about legal. I could write a book on legalism. <laughs> and that's the problem with religion And with legalism, you're trying to be, if I can just be good enough and right enough and religious enough. The problem is at the end of the day, you either conclude, I haven't done enough. Yeah. When you're honest. Yeah. Or you say, 
okay, tomorrow I'm going to do better. And so there's this guilt and this drive to perform, to somehow impress God, to win brownie points with God, to earn your salvation. Hmm. And that's the, the problem with legalistic religion. It will lead a person in one of two directions. And believe me, I've met both. I probably have been both. Hmm. Legalism, will, number one, it'll make you a self-righteous Pharisee hmm. of saying, hey, look at me, look how much better I am than everybody else. Yeah. And so it leads to comparison. Hmm. And you always compare yourself. Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Yeah. So it makes you a self-righteous Pharisee or you will become a guilt-ridden worm of a person. Hmm. And you'll honestly say, there's no hope for me. God could never love me Look at me, I'm a horrible person. I make these promises to God. I never fulfill them. Uh, God could never, ever have anything to do with me. So you're yeah. either going to be a self-righteous Pharisee or this guilt-ridden person who gives up on life. So a couple questions to add on to that. Was Nicodemus, was he in the bondage? I mean, ironically, in the bondage that was supposed to give hope and peace to the world and then... I guess the other is the statement, because I know, I mean, one of the greatest things about my friendship with you over the last 20 years is that I, I've, you've helped me to try to see that I have those very same distortions, mm-hmm. that, that I used my relationship with God as, and even as a, as a pastor, to, as a youth pastor or a pastor, to, to make myself better, to see myself as better than somebody else, and also to feel that intense kind of guilt of saying, I will never be enough because I am not enough. In fact, I'll never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so you've been able to give me great balance, but let me, let's not talk about me. Let's go back to, <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to was Nicodemus, do you think he was caught in that bondage? Yeah. I, I would love to know the pre-story of Nicodemus <sighs> because I'm wondering is early in his Pharisaic Judaism, if he may have been the self-righteous Pharisee, you know, because look at me, I've worked hard. I'm so much better than the ordinary Jew. But I'm wondering if he had come to a point that I came to in my life, because I was that legalistic Pharisee growing up, thinking that our church is the best church and we're the only ones going to heaven and I'm one and I'm concerned about some of us. (laughs) But I came to a point where that kind of religion, that kind of legalism left me empty and I, and I discovered the grace of God. I'm wondering if Nicodemus is at that point of saying, you know, I've been the self-righteous Pharisee, but in my heart of hearts, I know I'm not that righteous. Yeah. I'm not that good. I need, I'm looking for answers. And mm. that's why he turned to Jesus. And um, I love the story of Nicodemus because you, you meet him early in the Gospel of John, but you, you don't meet him again until the very, very end of the Gospel where he becomes a believer. Yeah, yeah. And so it worked. That's right. So I'm going, Nicodemus went through the same journey that I went through from being a legalistic Pharisee, discovered the grace of God, and became a disciple of Jesus. Oh, so listener, if, uh, if you feel like you're in either camp, just give it a little time. Give it a little time. Absolutely. Jesus is so patient. Okay, so the gospel means freedom from bondage. But to do that, we have to have a new power. So Jesus then exposes two profoundly important concepts, being born again, and then the movement of God is like the wind. So 
At first blush, it seems that Nicodemus didn't get the symbolism. Is that only merely apparent? I mean, did did Nicodemus grasp at least that he was in over his head, like you know, like the Marianas Trench ocean over his head? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's an interesting thing I would challenge our listeners to read through the Gospel of John. Yes, one of the one of the uh, themes that runs all the way through John is what what I call a communication breakdown, hmm. and it's as if and if you use if you'll put this uh, metaphor in your mind, you'll see it page after page in the Gospel of John. It's as if Jesus is speaking in FM, and his listeners are tuned in on AM. <laughs> so imagine on your radio you want to listen to a podcast <clears throat> or something on FM, but you accidentally have it on AM. Yeah. You can search that dial all day long, yeah. and you will not find. You've got to get on the same level. So you will see Jesus say things like to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he goes, um, you're not talking about, you know, a literal re-entry in my mother's womb. I mean, what are you talking about? There's this FMAM thing. Yeah. In our next next week, we're going to look at the Samaritan woman. They're at the well, and Jesus says, "Hey, if you knew who you were talking to, I'd give you living water. You wouldn't have to draw again." Oh man, give me that water, <laughs> so I don't have to come out here and draw again. Yeah. AMFM. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Later in the Gospels, uh, I mean, it's over and over and over again. Uh, Jesus says, you, "You need to eat my body and drink my blood." Uh-huh. What are you, some kind of cannibal? What yeah. are you talking about? AMFM. This is going on with Nicodemus. Yeah. And Jesus even says, and you really see it here, he said, Nicodemus, if you can't understand earthly things, how can I talk to you about heavenly things? Yeah. You know, you know I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you on a spiritual level, but you're on an earthly, physical level. And you're you're not following me. You got to get tuned in to, on FM. Yeah. Set your dial on FM. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It makes me think about you know. Can we? How are we enabled to switch the modulation from amplitude modulation to frequency modulation? It's 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 easy on. Well, we don't actually do that anymore. Who uses a radio? But it used to be as, as simple as flipping a switch. How do we flip that switch? Yeah, it, it, it's not easy because you know, sometimes when I'm reading, I mean, how about everybody? When you're reading the Gospels, do you understand immediately everything Jesus is saying? I'm still learning. Yeah, and there I mean, are I certain like to think I do. I do. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. And there are still certain things that I think I understand, and that, but then I keep studying and reading and studying. Oh, that's what he meant. Yeah. So that's the the dynamic of the communication of Jesus is you have to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. You will never fully comprehend, wrap your brain around everything that Jesus meant. Uh, When you study his parables, oh my goodness, he would tell a story and he, Sean, he would tell a story and he wouldn't give the the moral of the story. He would just tell (laughs) the story and walk away. And people are scratching their heads. And the disciples go to him later and say, Jesus, when you tell that story, what were you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> FMAM. Yeah. FMAM. Over and over and over again. So 
Uh, it takes a lot to me, a lot of prayer, a lot of study to get on that FM dial. I wonder if like for for the disciples and for Nic- Nicodemus, I think it's a, a wonderful revelation because I think that w- if somebody really wanted to know, Jesus would tell them. He'd say, yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you the secrets. Sure. Yeah. Sure, I'll tell you. Yeah. But can we listen to it the first time and, and then and try to not be a knucklehead and say, oh, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, because I think that like the uh, the illustration uh, or the analogy of the wind. Okay, so right now in New Mexico, how high the wind's supposed to be? Yeah, today? fifty miles an hour, maybe yeah, gust. Yeah. Fifty mile an hour gust. It's already brown outside, folks. But anyway, uh, the wind. We think that there is space between ourselves right now, or space between ourselves and the tree across the street. But it's actually not space. It's not vacuum. There's air. Mm-hmm. And when those wind, when the wind pushes those molecules, now we know these things. They didn't know that back then. Right. And so uh, what a beautiful illustration that Jesus gives them about the wind. Yeah, you, you, can't, you cannot see the wind. All you can see are the results of yeah. the wind. The, the leaves are blowing out our window right now. So it's, he said it's the same with the Spirit of God. You can't see the Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit is invisible. But you can see the results yeah. Of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, And that's why you have to, there's a great example of you have to get on the FM dial. Yeah. Th- think about the parables. How did Jesus end most of his parables? He who has ears to hear, let, let him, him hear. hear. So what is he saying? Okay, here's the story. Now you got to think about it. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to give you the interpretation. You got to, if you really have ears to hear, uh, you can hear, but it's not going to be easy. You're, I want you to think. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah, that's right. That right. That's right. It makes us seek after him. Okay, so as if to help the reader 2,000 years later, like me, Nicodemus helps us out by asking, well, how can this happen? Uh, Rick, I'm afraid that Americans have heard born again so often that it may have lost its meaning. So if you don't mind me being just so black and white, what does being born again mean? I think at the very basic level, it means to start over. Mm. It means to have a new beginning in your life, to have a a fresh start, which, Sean, it implies that we blew the first start. Yeah. You know, we were born. How well did you do running your own life? Not Not too well. (laughs) So Jesus says, here's the good news. Uh, yeah, you blew the start. You get uh, you get a second chance. Wow! Uh, you get back. You get to start over. You get to get back in the starting blocks, and you're going to start over. But here's the cool thing, Sean, about being born again. This time in your second birth, you get two benefits that you didn't have the first time. You get the forgiveness of your sin, and the gift of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Wow! Which are the two blessings of the new covenant. Yeah. When you read Acts chapter 2, for example, and Peter preaches the very first sermon, and people say, what do we need to do? And he says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And what do you get? For the forgiveness of your sins mm. and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Those are the two great promises of the new coming. You see the same thing in Galatians 3, where he talks about that you've been redeemed, that is, forgiven, and you get the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So, 
you get to start over, but this time you don't start over as the same person. Yeah. Um, in a way, you're the same person, but you're a new person. You're yeah. a new creation with the forgiveness of your sin and, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to help you, uh, to guide you, to lead you, teach you, convict you, all the things the Holy Spirit does. Wow. Well, as we're, as we're kind of winding towards the end here, Jesus used an Old Testament illustration uh, to help Nicodemus. Rick, it, it, it's kind of a bizarre story to me, this, this story out of, uh, what is it, the first, I don't know. Numbers. I'm Numbers, worried. right? Uh, can yeah. you retell us the story and why it fits the motif and to which we need to pay attention? Yeah, it is a bizarre story. And I have a feeling Nicodemus was scratching his head going, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's Numbers 21. Moses, is with the Israelites in the wilderness, they disobey God and God punishes them with snakes. Yeah. And people are being bit, they're getting sick, they're dying. Moses comes to intercede and God said, okay, here's the deal. Moses, I want you to take a bronze snake this is weird, Sean. Yeah. Take a bronze stake, put it on a pole, and lift it up. Lift up that pole and tell the people if they will look at that bronze snake, they will be healed. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, who knew that story well as a Pharisee. Right. He said, Nicodemus, in, in a very similar way, you need to put your faith and trust in the Son of Man who will be lifted up, yeah. the lifted up Son of Man. Well, we know, we know, Sean, the rest of the story, mm. that Jesus was nailed to a cross, and he was lifted up from the earth. Yeah. And his, Jesus' point to Nicodemus is, here's, here's how it's going to happen, Nicodemus, when people look to Jesus, when they look to their uplifted Savior on the cross, put their faith and trust in him, then they will be healed and their sins would be forgiven. Okay, so here, here's my other question, because I, I think that that this this weird story um, it got even weirder for the Old Testament in the Old Testament because in was it Second Kings eighteen during the time of Hezekiah that snake on a stick became an idol. Was it a strange coincidence, or did Jesus absolutely mean to make that parallel? Well, if you'll notice, Jesus never refers to that King Hezekiah incident. You know, he refers to the original yeah. back in Numbers. He doesn't. He never references that. But Sean, I would say it should not surprise us that the Israelites worship the snake. They seem to worship anything but the true God. Yeah, it, it's sad, but throughout their history, they they would they would worship anything, and. I've often wondered why. Why would they worship a golden calf? Yeah. Why would they worship, um, you know, foreign gods? Why would they in, in this situation? Why would they worship? Think about it. A bronze snake. Yeah, that's right. Why would they do that? Uh, here's here's my theory. Uh, people would rather worship anything than the true God, because. Uh, Things like that bronze snake make no moral or ethical demands on the worshiper. Ooh. Think about it. Yeah. I can worship a snake and go home. That's right. And live my life any way I want. You worship the true God, there are moral and ethical demands. There are changes that he wants to bring about in your life. So 
everything, when you look at the history of Israel, if I'm not mistaken, everything they ended up worshiping made no moral or ethical demands on their life. Wow. None. Yeah. None. When they got into Canaanite fertility worship. Yeah. What was it all about? How could they? Hedonistic pleasure. Yeah. You know, sexual immorality. Yeah. Made no demands. It gave permission to do immoral and godly right. things. So, okay. We can we can get that. All right, those are those those poor illiterate, you know, uh um nincompoops back then, right? Well, we're we're Americans, we're the smartest, most educated people in the world. I mean, Come on. We would never do something like that, right? I hate to mention it to you, Sean. I hate to burst your bubble. It is so possible, and I would even use the word probable, for people to do the, the very same thing today. I agree. Yeah. Um, you, know, it's, you look at what do people worship today? Uh, people worship money. Yeah. Now, there's something weird. People worship, still worship pleasure. Yeah. People worship uh, sexual immorality. People worship popularity. Mm-hmm. People worship power. Uh, honestly, people worship other people. Yeah. When you look at the uh, social uh, media influencers, oh, and, and stars, and, and, and stars, sports, and, yeah, figures. sports figures, and people worship anything. Why? Because see, I could worship a movie star, and that person makes no moral or ethical demands on my life. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's exciting, but. Is it good? Is it healthy? Is Does it promote a spiritual growth and development? Absolutely not. It has become Nehushtan to us. Yes. Yes. Oh, boy. Well, Rick, what a fantastic message. I cannot wait to hear this I, this next message. I know you're going to tell us about it, but we have to stop because the music is centered in because it's time for Rick's Quote of the Week. All right. So what is the Turning Point Quote of the Week? Well, you know, Sean, we talked about Nicodemus being courageous. It took a yeah. lot of courage for him to approach Jesus, uh, re- risking his reputation yeah. as a Pharisee. So I, I got this great quote from Erwin McManus, one of our favorites, mm, yes. on courage. And uh, and here's what he said about, if, if you have to lead yourself. Okay, everybody, the most difficult person you will ever lead is yourself. Yeah. Here's what Erwin McManus says about self-leadership and courage. A huge part of self-leadership is breaking away from the gravitational pull of the opinion of others and finding the courage to become the most unique version of you. Sean, it takes great courage to, to pull away and to break away from that gravitational pull of the opinion of others. Yeah, We have to say, I don't care what other people think. I am going to do what what God wants, and I'm yeah. going to seek Him no matter what other people and what their opinion of me is. What a great quote. Love me some Irwin. All right, well, what else is going on here at Grace? Well, this coming Sunday, we're going to continue our series of Turning Point, and we're going to look at the Samaritan woman. Great, great story yes. in John chapter 4. But we're going to talk about relationships. What do you do when your relationships leave you empty. Hmm. And believe me, the Samaritan woman, she had tried to, I would say, stuff relationships, other men, into that God-shaped vacuum in her Hmm. spirit. 
And it was like putting a round peg in a square hole. Yeah. So we're going to learn. And I, I, I see people doing that today thinking, you know, if I, if I just had the right husband or if I had the right girlfriend or, you know, in a broader sense, you know, if I just worked at a different company, if I had a better boss, my relationship and my boss just, I want a boss that fills all my needs. And what do you do when... Um, when those relationships leave you feeling empty. So we're going to look at that. Wow. Also, I just want to mention here in a couple of weeks, on Sunday evening, March the 10th, Grace has the opportunity of hosting the Aspire Women's Conference. Oh. It's going to be on our campus. And ladies, March the 10th, go online or check out our webpage. We'll give you details. I bet Sean could even put a link. I will do that. That you would bet. be great. You can order tickets online. It's and it's a one evening. It's three hours, like from five, I think five to eight, something like that. And it, it's just going to be a great, great evening for the women of Roswell. Uh, tickets are on sale; they're going fast, so you can pick those up. That's so that's fantastic. what's happening here at Grace. That's fantastic, Rick. Thanks so much for talking with us today, audience. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at rosalgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to rosalgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.